0: Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far and has helped make 52 Weeks of Hustle such a success. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. I'm excited to have joined General Sports Worldwide, where Lou DePauly and I will be focusing on executive search and team consulting. Our services will range from recruiting, onboarding, training, development, business planning, consulting, and much more. We're really looking to be a full service agency for our clients to assist them in their return on investment and return on energy. Please let me know if you have any interest. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to be an elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com as well as to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Similar to being on the sports team, many times you have to be able to do it all and gain valuable experience in the minor leagues before embarking on a professional career journey. Our next guest did just that and more as I'm excited to have our next guest, Matt Goodman, COO and Chief Commercial Officer, NYCFC of the MLS. Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you having me.
0: Matt, certainly excited to dive into your illustrious career. You grew up in Dallas, Texas, and business was always a part of your family. Although you weren't very involved, your great-grandfather owned a pawn and jewelry store in St. Louis, so I'm sure you heard the good and bad of the business world early on. So growing up in a blue-collar family with one brother, how did sports become such a big part of your life?
1: Well, we we grew up in uh, originally in St. Louis to your point and you know, when you're from St. Louis, baseball is kind of, you know, it's kind of a rite of passage. And so, you know, we, we started going to Cardinal games, you know, as early as when I was, I think I was four years old. First time my dad took me to a game and that was, that was kind of it. Um, You know, that, 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 and then I have, and I have memories of my dad getting ready and going to St. Louis Cardinal football games when I was a young kid, you know, him layering up to go sit outside at Bush stadium uh, to go to football games on, you know, on Sunday mornings. But it was, you know, it was just, it was one of those things. It was always, it was always a part of our, of our family house.
0: No, that's awesome. And as you ultimately headed off to college, you decided to go to the university of Arkansas to study journalism. Why did you want to be in journalism and radio?
1: I I, I wanted to be Jack Buck, (laughs) you know, it comes, it comes back to being, you know, to that, to being a Cardinal fan. Like I, when I went to school, it was a couple of things that kind of aided my decision-making process. You know, the, the Arkansas had recently just a few years before I went to school, had left, uh, you know, the, the former Southwest conference had joined the SEC, you know, and I was, I was aware already of how powerful the SEC could be from a football standpoint. And then I had friends that went to school at Arkansas and it was a reasonably small school, you know, for the size of the conference. And it was, it was a, it was the official team of the entire state. So it had massive coverage. And as somebody who always wanted to be in journalism, again, wanted, you know, wanted to be you know, the, the voice of the Razorbacks, the voice of the Cardinals, going to school there you know, gave me tremendous opportunity to get really involved really quickly because they the, the student body and the journalism department at Arkansas hadn't had a lot of people you know, with, with kind of my level of personality. So it was, it was a great opportunity for me to get really involved in a lot of things
0: and early on. And I know you and I have talked about some fun stories with both of us being in that media aspect of sports through college with, with TV and radio. And what do you feel like are some of those valuable tips from the media experience that you've been able to apply to your career over the years?
1: You know, it's, it's funny. The, the two things I think that are most valuable are, are intellectual curiosity, right? The same things that you apply from a, from a traditional journalism perspective, you know, that, that notion of, of the who, what, where, when, why, and how, asking the questions. And then the ability to, to present, right? The ability to be comfortable in front of a camera, to be comfortable in front of a prospect, to be comfortable in a room full of other reporters asking questions of coaches and athletes. You know, the same way that you ask questions of executives when you're in the sales process live and the same way that, you know, that you need to, that you need to be able to present a value proposition to a conference room full of people I think there's there's a lot of transferable skills and I think the notion of being able to think on your feet, you know, the same way you have to as a journalist when you're asking questions and there's, you know, an answer leads you down a rabbit hole that you may not have been prepared for, but you've got to be a little nimble. So I, I think those are, to me, those are two of the most applicable kind of cross-functional um, applications to both.
0: Yeah, and you're willing, to your point, pivot and also, you know, kind of battling rejection. You, you're interviewing the, the winning coach, but you also have to interview the losing coach, who's typically not excited to, to talk to you or give you any quotes. So that's right, certainly. And, uh, you know, as you were finishing up school, Matt, you had an internship with the Razorbacks Sports Information Department. Obviously, like we talked about, wrote for the local newspaper, gained experience with a local ESPN affiliate. So how did ticket sales come about with the Dallas Cowboys after all the media?
1: Yeah. So I, um, you know, by, by, by fortune, I got an interview with the director of sales for the Cowboys before I was done school. And when I sat down with him, you know, he asked me what I wanted to do. And I, you know, and I articulated that I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be behind the mic. I wanted to be a play by play and color person. And he was the one that told me if you want to be successful in sports, you put asses in the seats, and and it was like it was like it was the most blatant, blatantly obvious statement that I hadn't really ever thought about because I had always had some type of sales job in addition to the work I had done for the athletic department. You know whether that was selling cell phones for Sprint or selling Arkansas Democrat Gazettes door to door, member you know uh, newspaper subscriptions. Like I came by sales really naturally. So when he asked me. Once he told me that, that putting asses in the seats was, was how the business works, I said, like selling tickets? He goes, yeah. How do you, how do you feel about making 100 cold calls a day out there in the, in the sales floor? And, and like, brashly, I was like, that's not a problem. Yep. And he's like, what, what do you mean? I go, I mean, I, I've been a salesperson my whole life, and I, I, can't, I come from a family of salespeople. I have no problem doing that and and sure enough I, you know i he put me on the phone the first day i was done with school it was the tuesday after memorial day sits me down at a desk and hands me a you know a sheet of names and phone numbers and i just start calling i had no script there was no training There was no right. nothing i just don't figure it people. out yeah that's exactly right
0: yeah that's it's always funny now right telling stories from from people getting into the business now like we were calling out of the yellow books, and it was just you know to your point, you didn't have a ton of training, um, and you continued to evolve. And so, after a few months with the Cowboys, you end up starting with the Frisco Rough Riders where you end up spending almost three years. So, what enticed you? Obviously, you kind of talked about getting into sales with the Cowboys, but then joining Frisco and working in minor league baseball.
1: You know, it was it was a perfect combination of my my passion for baseball you know, going back to that, those Cardinal roots. And, and when, you know, we had moved to Dallas when I was seven. So I became a Texas Ranger fan, you know, because this was, this was in the, you, you only had one team you could watch on television. Okay. So you had the Rangers double A affiliate. And then the other piece of that was Mandalay at the time. And, and even still was, was so heavily, was so heavily leaned in on training, training the salespeople. And you know this was John Spolstra and Steve Delay, uh, and and Howie Chow at the time, and it was all about training salespeople and training on the principles of how to make the cold call, how to battle objections to get a face to face meeting, right? Which was which was one type of close, and then it was sitting face to face with small, medium sized business owners in in the in the Dallas, you know, kind of the North Dallas uh, areas, and and then going for, you know, pitching and going for a one call close, so to speak. And the training associated with that. I mean, we were trained, we were trained for six weeks before we were allowed to even start actually making calls. We had a, you know, we had a presentation that we had to memorize and videotape and then critique those videotapes with, you know, with the leaders of the club. So it was, it was very much about process and training and to combine that with, you know, with like a a passion and love for the game of baseball and then the Texas Rangers in an, in a, in a locale that I was already familiar with, you know, it made for a great opportunity for me.
0: No, that's awesome. And you know, now it's Frisco. And ultimately to your point, Mandalay sports properties has a lot of great talent that's come from it. You know, the list goes on and on. And so what do you feel like working in that organization that the most successful people did on a day-to-day basis?
1: It it was It was like, it was friendly competition and it was an openness to be, to critique one another in real time. You know, we were in an open floor plan like we see today and we could all sit there and listen to each other, make calls and battle for meetings. And then you'd, you know, you'd get off the phone and you'd say to the person next to you, what, what did they say that caused you to say this? And, and we were just, you know, there were six of us and we were just sponges for each other because with the exception of myself, everybody else there was from out of state. So a, there was kind of, a, you know, it, it was, you know, it was like your, your, your immediate friend group and yeah. your immediate professional, you know, your peer set. And, and you just wanted to learn how each other was working. You know, they were so selective in how they, how they brought people into the group. We were really all performing at a high level. And so there was just a thirst for knowledge and it was, it was, it was competitive, but it was like, it was friendly competition. There was no, you know, there wasn't anything snaky going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What is your advice to listeners out there about finding that friendly competition? Why it's so beneficial?
1: You know, I I just having been in, having been in the alternative sales environment where you've got people that are, that are not willing to help and are, you know, only out for number one that it just creates it creates a negative environment. And I think what, what I would say to anybody is, look, it's, you're not going to hit with great culture on the first opportunity. You know, you, I think you have to learn what to look for over time. So, you know, unfortunately, I'd love to say it's like, you got to, you know, you got to trust your gut when you're talking to people, you know, when you're interviewing or when you're looking for your next opportunity and trying to understand who the leaders are, what their philosophies are on building you know, a great organization, what the path is for growth, you know, and also understanding, you know, I think one of the biggest pitfalls, I think in our business that we've seen is you get people that are great salespeople and they often aren't given the opportunity to choose what they want to do. They are either thrust into management or they are thrust into, you know, into selling bigger, higher dollar, longer sales cycle stuff without spending enough time talking to the person on an individual basis to understand what's valuable to them and what
0: they want to do yeah, and what their passion so, is. Makes sense. Yeah. So Matt, during your time at Frisco, you ultimately get into leadership. You became the director of ticket sales. How did you know leadership was the right path?
1: I think it, it it's, it was a coaching, it was, a, it was a coaching aspect. You know, I, I had the opportunity, I, I coached baseball after high school, you know, for our summer league teams for the local high school, I did a little coaching when I was in college for a local high school, Um, you know, that, that, that ability to watch others and try and provide, you know, positive feedback and tailor that feedback to the type of person that you're giving it to always came somewhat naturally to me. So, you know, I was given the opportunity after a couple of years of of being a successful salesperson, you know, I got, I got to be a kind of a player coach, right. Where, you know, I, I was responsible for my own, for my own number, but then I also was responsible for mentoring, you know, new additions to our team. And I, I did, you know, seemingly I did a pretty good job there. And so when the opportunity, you know, presented itself, To take on a bigger role, they, you know, they tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want you to do this. And I was like, great. You know, I, I I wasn't, I wasn't one of those things where I was, I was asking, I was like, Hey, what's next? Hey, what's next? Like, I always was of the mindset that if you do things the right way, you'll be, you know, good opportunities will present themselves.
0: Yeah, good things happen to good people if they put themselves in the right position. And, and that's exactly right. You know, you dominated your day. So you got that opportunity. And you know, th- speaking of dominating your day and that right opportunity, you stayed in the Mandalay family and joined the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Yankees as the vice president of ticket sales. So in the minor leagues, and we've had several guests here on 52 Weeks of Hustle, you certainly can't focus on players or dynasties because many times those individuals are different each year. So how did you and the team always continue to find ways to grow revenue each and every year?
1: Well, I, you know, it was, it was all about entertainment, right? We, we sold, we sold a, a great fan experience, you know, and that was just the general, the general um, game day entertainment experience. You know, Mandalay was great. You know, this was, this was a company that was run by, by Peter Gruber, you know, who owner, owner of the Golden State Warriors, owner of the Dodgers, you know, still Mandalay and LAFC, you know, this yep. goes, goes on. And yeah. this was, this was somebody who, you know, who was, already a seasoned storyteller and understood people's desire for affordable fan and family friendly entertainment because we couldn't to your point we couldn't control what was going on on the field yep. but what we could control was that 30 to 45 seconds in between innings we could control that for for the general fan and from a you know from a corporate environment standpoint when it came to season tickets we could control the experience that people got when they bought tickets to use for their business. And we could custom create, you know, an experience. So, you know, whether when people sent guests to games, we had, we had a a tailor-made experience that, that resulted back to the person that sent them in a highly positive, uh, highly positive way. So in terms of growing revenue, it was, You focused on fulls, you focused on halves, you focused on partials, family-friendly, you know, plans that were one or two games a month. You know, everything was predicated on an equation and the number of games a month that you could use and the benefits and amenities associated with that, whether that was all-inclusive burgers, dogs, and soda, whether it was burgers, dogs, beer and wine, whether it was an upscale food and beverage experience, you know, the the changing of, of the giveaway that was a season ticket holder gift versus just a general gate giveaway. You know, these are these are principles that I think are broadly used now, but fifteen, twenty years ago, they they weren't broadly used. And it was right. it was turning the thing on its head a little bit. And that's a lot of that is, you know, that was that was John Spolstra.
0: That was how their process was. And you know, much of the understanding of the minor leagues, Matt, is that you're really able to get experience doing a little bit of everything. You're talking about, you know, grinding and rolling up your sleeves. What was it like leading a team that knowing that one day you're selling tickets one day it's helping in the community event. And the next day it's being a mascot, you know, in the minors,
1: you know, it's, it takes a special kind of crazy, right? I mean, everyone that you've had on this, on this show, who's in our business is in this business because there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of crazy, right? And it's like- <laughs> Or a you, lot. You look, yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to be said for the, the ownership and the feel that you get from being so closely associated with that brand. You know, they're local, they're local community assets, whether it's minor league or major league. And being associated with that, you know, we do the same things we do for NYCFC today in terms of volunteering youth and community events, plus game day those same things apply when we are in the minor leagues, right? It was just, you, you just have a little bit more resource at the major league level, you know, but even at the minor league level for Mandalay, we, we, we staffed ourselves and thought of ourselves as as major league as we could be, you know, without having some of those, some of those broader operating
0: budgets. Absolutely. Matt, we're certainly going to get into your MBA and team Bo experience. And that's something our avid listeners are certainly very familiar with, but your first experience in that consulting type role actually came with Mandalay baseball properties as you spent over five years working in their internal and in their league office. So how was that experience for you?
1: Look, It was great. Um, you know, it was, it was, um, it was mirrored after team Bo. and, you know, we, we had grown, the family of teams to a point where we had added, you know, we had added Scranton, we had added Staten Island. Dayton was in a great spot. Frisco, you know, Frisco was kind of a, a constant evolution because of the the marketplace and the, and the competition in the market. So at a certain point, there was a need to have a resource that was willing to go on the road and, and embed themselves at those teams, you know, on a week to week basis. And for me, you know, again, going back to when I was when I was tapped to move into a director of sales role or even a, a player coach role, you know, teaching young people, you know, the ins and outs and intricacies of of the sales process was something that that I always really liked. And you know, and and the understanding that no two markets are created equal, right. and I think that was that has always been. It's a thing that different that differentiates Teambo. It's a thing that helped us at Mandalay, you know, because things in Dayton don't work the same as things in Frisco that don't work the same in Staten Island. And so to have somebody who has, you know, who has an understanding of what works in those markets, but also has enough time spent in those markets to understand it, it, we may need to twist and tweak in order for it to make better sense, you know, in Staten Island versus Scranton, you know, you, you, you've got to have boots on the ground there to understand
0: Absolutely. And and you will certainly get into all your traveling experiences with that. And it certainly has grown to to what you know and your knowledge today. And Matt, as you look back at your minor league baseball days, both working on the team side and then on the league side, what stands out as your proudest accomplishment?
1: Oh, um, you know, uh, Travis, it's, it's just been, it's the people, you know, when I look at the people that I've, that I've either, mentored or coached or had the opportunity to, you know, to bring on to a staff, um, or to help facilitate their, you know, their next opportunity that like, that's the great part of our business. You know, it's like that, that same coaching tree analogy, you know, great people always will win the day. Right. And then you take great people and great process. And that, that absolutely puts you in a position to succeed. It's, you know, my biggest accomplishment has always been You know, when I look at the number of people that I've had the opportunity to work with who have worked, you know, who've worked for me or who have I've been able to coach and mentor and to see them succeed, that like, that's without question, the biggest accomplishment.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
0: Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Matt Goodman, COO and Chief Commercial Officer at NYCFC of the MLS. So Matt, after spending almost six years with Mandalay and in minor league baseball, you decide to go on to the professional sports, but not just get your feet wet with professional sports. You go to one of the beasts, Madison Square Garden. So why was that the right opportunity for you?
1: Uh, I mean, you you kind of said it, it was it, I, I had I had never lived in New York and they were you know that they were about to embark on a on a billion dollar transformation of you know of the world's most famous arena and to get that opportunity, you know I always said to myself, I was like I always thought I was a pretty good salesperson and I was a pretty good leader of people and when given the opportunity if I could do it on the biggest stage in in North America or the you know the Like I of course I wanted that chance, and and you know that opportunity to do that. And as you know as a as a basketball fan, an NBA basketball fan, and and a pretty good hockey fan. Again, going back to those those St. Louis roots, you know you get the Knicks and the Rangers as as your sports properties. Let alone the concert business. Um. you take those opportunities. And for me, it was, I, I got to go take that shot. And then we were going to go, you know, and then the, the proposition was to sell the, the, the most expensive premium inventory at the time in the history of, of sports. Yep. And now I, if, if I had known that we were going to be thrust into a, you know, kind of a global recession, right. As we started that process, <laughs> you know, I, I would be lying if I didn't say, I would probably have taken a second look at that. But then I think we went through some really hard times there, but we came out the other side and we we were wildly successful. Both we succeeded on the business, but the other successes came from what you learn about yourself and your fortitude when you're dealing with like the, the responses that we got calling on the biggest institutions in the world. Proposing what we were proposing and taking the feedback from those institutions at the time, which were, you know, like the nicest way I can say it is you guys are crazy.
0: Right, right.
1: And, but we stuck to it, you know, and, and that part was amazing because it was, you know, Scott O'Neill and, and Mike Andreko and Ron Skatarczak, you know, guys like up and down, John Clark, like up and down the business there was no way that was not an amazing opportunity because again, you want to work with great people, great leaders, great property. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was an amazing experience.
0: And to your point, selling for such an iconic brand and really iconic brands um, with, within MSG. And, and during your time there, you'd mentioned you went through that massive renovation. How was that experience for you? And as you think back of that, were there any really cool meetings that you're like, one, maybe I can't believe I was a part of, but two, like this was pretty interesting.
1: Well, the, 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 the coolest one, this one, I, uh, I mean, there were, there were look like we're, we're all sports fans, right? We're in this business for a reason. Yep. And, you know, and I think we all probably pride ourselves on, on you know, not being starstruck because it's just part of your day to day. So there were a ton of, of just incredible meetings, like going to play golf with prospects and you got John Starks, like giving swing tips is one thing. But I'll never forget there was one day we were, we were doing a walkthrough of, of the MSG Transformation Center. And, you know, there was so much there was so much uh, iconography through that presentation because there had been, you know, 60 years of of world events that had taken place in that building. And I'm literally in the middle of the presentation when the door opens and George Kolinsky, who is the, the famed photographer of MSG walks in with Joe Frazier
0: the boxer yep
1: and like I'm in mid-presentation and I'm like you know and I I believe I said something to the effect of because I had no idea this was happening
0: right like this is just out of nowhere and the
1: correct and the prospect's backs are to the door so I see it and I recognize him immediately and I'm and I'm talking about the events you know it was kind of we kind of had like a cadence of a script that we would walk through it was like events like you know, whether it was the Democratic National Convention or the Pope comes to MSG or Ali Frazier. And I'm like, and I got to say, you know, speaking of Ali Frazier, there's no reason for you all to listen to me talk about it. I wasn't even born when the thing happened, but we might (laughs) as well ask Joe Frazier about his experience fighting Muhammad Ali. And there's Joe Frazier. And the prospects are like,
0: they couldn't, they couldn't even
1: speak. And it was, I mean, it's like, That doesn't happen in a lot of places and a lot of properties. And it wasn't lost on me at all at the time. It was amazing.
0: Yeah. And to your point, just such a great experience of not only going through that time, through the renovation, working for those iconic brands, probably really, you know, learn yourself as a a seller and a leader. And then ultimately you get the chance to reunite with some of your Mandalay friends in the NFL at the Cleveland Browns as you take on the VP of corporate partnership. So how was that experience selling in the NFL? Certainly a little bit different market Cleveland than New York.
1: Yeah, I mean it's obviously wildly different, um, but I, I will say the the passion of the Cleveland Browns fan base is is like nothing I think I've ever seen.
0: They are, you know, passionate know, and I, and, fans. and
1: it, it's remarkable. And and the city, you know, and this was this was Cleveland post LeBron the first time. Uh, and the Indians, you know, Terry Francona was there and the, and the Indians got into the playoffs for the first time and, you know, in forever since the early nine or since the mid nineties. And in my, in my reasonably short time there, we had gone on a, I want to say we had gone on a three or four game winning streak for the Browns and the fever pitched nature of the city when the Browns strung together three or four wins in a row was, was literally, I mean, and I was, I was at the garden for Linsanity, which was the Knicks went on a 12 game winning streak and there was nothing like it, you know, galvanizing the city of New York. Same thing applies for the, for the Browns. It was, I mean, it was like four games in a row and you thought we were Super Bowl bound. It was incredible. (laughs) So it just, it just speaks to Cleveland for sure. Yeah, for sure. It was great.
0: Well, so you couldn't stay away from the Big Apple too long as you went back and, and joined the NBA League office at Team Bo. Again, we've had many guests with Team Bo experience, and you spent almost six years there. And so one of the teams you oversaw was the Detroit Pistons, and you and I certainly spent a lot of time together at the Palace, transitioning to Little Cedars Arena. How was that experience for you?
1: Well, you know, you're right. You and I, you and I were, we were we were boots on the ground there for, for a a number of weeks. Do
0: you still tell people and that's I the think, best memory of your life? Cause that's what I tell people.
1: Wait, you and me and just me and Detroit? you
0: spending time together. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah, hundred. Uh, okay. Just making sure uh, we're on the same page.
1: You know, it was what I think, a, what a lot of people who are in this business and know the intricacies of our business may not know is, you know, the, the process that the folks at the Pistons had to go through and the timeline in which they had to do it. You know, anyone who's built a building or been part of a renovation or been part of a relocation, you generally have thirty-six months, four years. You have years in which to plan. And this thing came together in eleven months. I mean, the announcement, yeah, the announcement between the 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 city and the the Red Wings and the the ownership, you know, the Illiches and 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 Tom Gore's the Pistons took place. I want to say it was a couple of days before Thanksgiving the following season they were going to relocate
0: it was go time so and
1: and and the distance between the palace and little caesar's arena you know is every bit of an hour drive so it's 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 a material distance difference and there was there was differences in in the market in which you were selling so you know the, the experience was you know we were there together it was like we were on the phone we were going on meetings with with sales reps You know, you even more so than I, I mean, I I dealt with some, you know, obviously some personal challenges that, that left you holding the bag for us, but it was a tremendous challenge. But I also think ultimately, you know, the folks at the Pistons did a nice job given again that, that 11 months, you know, we were, we were there to help as best we could, but it was, it was something else.
0: Yeah, it was. And that team did a great job of immersing themselves kind of in that new market, new community Um, you know, Matt, along your lines with the NBA, in addition to all your NBA responsibilities, you also oversaw the account management for the WNBA and the NBA G League. And so I I know there are times that you put your Mandalay hat back on. And so what were some similarities and differences between minor league baseball and the W and G?
1: You know, I, there, I always looked at them as, as, as almost equal because, you know, in the G League, you weren't selling, you know, you weren't selling the name recognition that you have either in the NBA or in the W. So, and you've got smaller local communities right. that that see the same value in having that team and that community asset. So creating those same type of experiences, both predicated on fan and family entertainment and how you custom make and build a corporate a a corporate value proposition that differentiates that differentiates just traditional tickets. Um, And, and that, that notion of, of justifying more salespeople. Right. I think at the end of the day, when you're selling, you know, when you're playing 22 home games in a five to 7,000 seat arena, selling out those games is, is like, that's the most important thing you do. So making sure that you've got, you've got, Again, polls have and partials. You've got groups, you know, like this is basic, this is basic stuff. You know, I think a lion's share of the people that are listening, but the difference in what you're doing for the G League versus what you're doing for the W, you know, which in the W uh, oftentimes you've got teams playing in arenas that are the same, you know, they're likely NBA arenas. And that creates its own set of challenges in making sure that you've got TV visibility taken care of, that you're leaning in and leveraging, you know, the, the values of the players that you're, that you're leaning into the values of ownership and that you're taking that same community-based approach that you are in the G and the W, which is a little bit different. You don't have to do the same type of thing when you're selling, you know, when you're selling an NBA property right. than you do when you're selling those, you know, those quote-unquote challenger brands a little bit.
0: Yep, exactly. And you know, so Matt, at this time in your career, you had worked, you know, with, with teams and leagues in six different leagues and you decided to knock down number seven, going to the MLS. Now, almost two years ago, where you're at NYCFC. So, in your role, you oversee all of ticket sales, premium corporate partnerships, marketing, analytics, and youth programs. So, how's the transition been?
1: Well, we had COVID, so that made it that made it interesting. Um, you know i i started with the I started with the club January of twenty, and we all know, you know, kind of what happened.
0: And the world shut down. So, yep.
1: You know, so this has been our life you know, for that, for that first 18 months, you know, and I think like a lot of us, everyone, we, we are all in a business that, that commands, you know, kind of a next level of grind, yep. so to speak. So we did a tremendous amount of this and it was, you know, it was the notion of keeping people on staff, keeping people engaged, looking out for the mental, the mental health and, and wellness of our entire staff, knowing that they were dispersed around the country Right. You know, like that, there were there were pieces of the job, frankly, that I think some of us were ideally suited for, you know, especially when you consider some of that team experience and the different natures of of markets and employees and what different teams did to take care of to take care of their staffs pre pandemic. And then we went we were thrust into this and it was how do we keep our staff motivated? How are we checking in on them? How are we making sure that our fans are, are taken care of? you know, that we're taking that we're talking to and understanding our members, you know, our partners and and retaining revenue, like the, the number of things that we had to do as having just started with the club, it was like, well, it's certainly not the way I would draw it up, but (laughs) at the same time, you know, a baptism by fire is kind of like, okay, well, we don't have a choice and we're going to figure it out. And then had a baby in the middle of that too. So it was like, you know, it's feast or famine. And And I would say, look, I think there are pros and cons to all of it.
0: No, Um, absolutely, absolutely. So and you know, now the MLS is certainly an up and coming and great league and is continuing to make a ton of strides. What are you most excited about from an MLS and an NYCFC standpoint?
1: Well, I think
0: the first thing I would say is
1: just the the Material growth of the MLS fan base, I would say, is number one. You know, the MLS has seen tremendous strides in viewership, in attendance. Obviously, team valuations is, you know, is a good metric. And yeah. those continue to increase by a, by a pretty significant margin. You know, we've seen three, four, five teams transact in the last 18 months, you know, at significant numbers. And then you look at the, you know, you look at viewership, you know, on ESPN, on Univision, those numbers are increasing in a material way and i think the caliber of the game is so much different and i've and i i make no bones about the fact that i am not an expert in the game of soccer but what i but when i hear people that are talk about the the material difference in the quality of the game now versus you know even 2 3 years ago yeah. is significant and then you think about you know the way that you know we CFG as our parent and the way in which we look at the global soccer market, other teams are doing the same thing and owners in the MLS. And then ultimately the, the MLS is this, the, the demographic information on MLS fans and season ticket holders. It's the most, it's the youngest of all the leagues. Yep. And that only, that only tells a great story for the league because you've got people at the age of, you know, 18 to 25, 18 to 26, 18 to 36, are who brilliant. are fans, buyers, season ticket, you know, season ticket members, because the, you know, the barrier of entry is a bit lower than it is, you know, in a number of the other pro sports. And that lends itself well. And the fact that you've got so many kids who have grown up watching international soccer because of the, you know, because of the exposure that they've had since they were kids, between that and, you know, and, and esports that has that has catapulted this game into a place where it's just wildly more popular and then this and then the other part to that is specific to MLS and NYCFC is the notion of the 2026 World Cup coming to North World America.
0: Cup. Yep.
1: That will be, you know, the same way that it that it catapulted the MLS into existence coming off of uh coming off of 96.
0: Yep.
1: The same thing the same thing could be said here. And I think now in 2026, it'll be, it'll be incredible.
0: Yeah. As you think about the future of that, a ton of hype and a ton of great opportunity from an MLS and, and a lot of, a lot of team member standpoint. So Matt, certainly an awesome conversation, great career. As you look back, what's been your best memory? You know,
1: this business is, you know, like Travis, you and I work together, we were on the road together. You know, the, the, the people that I've gotten to know and that I, that I get to call friends, um, that's, that's been without question the best part of this journey, but the best memory, um, the best memory that I, that I could speak to as a function of that. Is that for my, you know, I, I was able to facilitate my parents throwing out a first pitch at a, at a Cardinal Cub game at Bush Stadium as a 40th wedding anniversary present. And that's that I, I said it then that was, you know, that was years ago. And, you know, that's been the most gratifying, fulfilling thing I've ever been able to do as a function of my career is to create that experience for them
0: all about creating memories. Well, Matt, this has been great. I certainly appreciate you sharing your story and expertise. And so to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Sure. All righty. If you could travel to one place in the world for a week, where would it be? New Zealand. Okay. Why is
1: that? Because I've never been and it would take a long. It takes a long time to get there <laughs> just to get, and get there be- and it looks gorgeous. So I might as well take advantage.
0: If you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? chicken wings. All right. Any favorite place?
1: (sighs) Mayacoba Resort, uh, Playa Mujeres, Mexico. (laughs)
0: All right. That sounds just an amazing vacation. What's the last thing you completed on your bucket list? One. So I made sure it was the hot seat S-
1: spring training, spring training, uh, spring training trip with my dad two okay. years
0: ago, three years, uh, ago. Arizona or Florida, Arizona, nice
1: Arizona, Arizona for Arizona spring training, golf men's men's college basketball
0: tournament. Can't beat that time of year. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day?
1: um, listen, align yourself with great people and have fun with what you do.
0: Awesome. Awesome advice. You know, two ears, and one mouth for a reason, do twice as much listening as you talking. You talked a lot about people on this podcast, you know, the value of people, the value of surrounding yourself with great people. And It's a grind, but you got to have fun. So couldn't agree more. Matt, again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I certainly appreciate your time, expertise, and our friendship. Travis,
1: you will wear a tie from now until eternity, and I love it about you. Thank you (laughs) for the time, man. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.